Last week we looked at three men in the Bible. Who remembers who they were? Who was listening? Somebody said David. Yep. Elisha. And the middle one wasn't, I didn't spend a lot of time on, but was Jeremiah. David fought Goliath because he had already encountered God. And because he already encountered God, when Goliath came in front of him, he went, no different. He'd already encountered God, he already trusted God, and knew that God would never let him down. Jeremiah was young, and initially when God called him, he goes, God, you've made a mistake. You couldn't possibly use me because I'm too young. But God says, don't say that. God spoke to him, God corrected him, and God actually imparted his vision into him. And after receiving some direction and training from God, he became God's prophet to the nations. God says, I see this, but Jeremiah had to step in and align his vision with God to see what God saw before he could actually be released to do what God wanted him to do. And the last one was Elisha. And I love the picture there where he takes the mantle of Elijah. He's been given the promise, uh, you will receive a double portion if you see me taken from you. And he grabs the mantle, he strikes the water, and like I said last week, he didn't just hit the water and that's it. Often when we pray, we pray and that's it. But he hit the water expecting God to do something. And we see that within the grammar that, that he did something and he expected God to carry it from there forward. That's why I was saying earlier, when, when we pray, we don't just pray and that's it. We pray and trust that God is continuing the work. There's been a whole bunch of people praying for Bart and just because we've finished praying doesn't mean God has finished working. Amen? God continues to work. God continues to act on our behalf. And just because we don't see or hear anything does not mean our God is not working. So David encountered God. Jeremiah aligned his vision with God. And Elisha put his faith into action. Each of, them, each of these men show us different areas that we need to grow in. But when these things are combined, we become men and women who become really powerful for God. And this is leading into today's message, which, which kind of leads us into what I feel God is wanting for us for next year. I woke up a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with a scripture going through my mind, and all day long I had this phrase constantly going through, seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom, Matthew 6.33. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So I want to look at this verse today in preparation for 2022. But before we do, I want, to, I want to go back to the Old Testament and set the scene with a few things from Scripture there. Now, when the, books, the, the first books of the Bible were written, what sort of audience were they written to? Jewish audience. See, they're, they're an Eastern audience. We're Western and when the Jews, when the, when the Jews, the Hebrews, when they saw the, uh, the early scriptures, they would see stories, they would see poetry, they would see images, and these things painted a picture in them. They would actually look at scripture in a very, very different way to what we do. There's a whole message in Genesis 1, how God has actually created the world. We read it from a Western mind of it being uh, like a lab report. This is how God did it, A, B, C, D. But when the Jews look at it all, they see the poetry, they see the patterns, they see the way it's all structured together, they see the rhythm of the wording, and, uh, and, and, and maybe I'll preach on it one day, but there's this whole concept of how it's put together, 
And there's a hidden message in Genesis 1 when you actually look at the phrasing of it all and that the, the theme behind all that is rest. And if you look through Genesis 1, when God created this night and day, it always starts with rest. And we always start our day from we get up and we start work and we rest at the end of the day. The Jews reverse that, they start with rest. And that's part of the message in the book of Genesis. But when they look at this, they see all this and they have an understanding of things because of the culture, because of how they, they learn. We learn with a Greek mindset. We think lab report, we think facts and figures, we think detailed information. So it helps us to, to expand on some of those things uh, when, we, when we study scripture. And it's a little bit like uh, when this place was first built, if you never set foot inside here, but all you ever saw was outside that window, you would look in, you would only see a small portion of this building. You would see the stage, you'd see the chairs here, you'd see the carpet, you'd see this part of the room, you have a, a bit of an understanding of what it's like, but then somebody takes you around and leads you to this window up here, and suddenly you look at the building from a very different perspective. You see a fire extinguisher on the wall, you see the computers in the sound desk, you see uh, more chairs, you see things from a different perspective. So when we, when we learn to look at the images, the poetry, and how it's written, and yet we take the information that we like and actually tie these together, we suddenly expand how we see things. But it doesn't mean that because we're Western, how we study the Bible is wrong. Because who is the Bible intended for? All of us. God wrote the Bible with you in mind. So when we read the Bible with a Western mindset, we pick things up, we bring some treasure to the table that, that is well worth looking at. But as we expand that, we get to see even more and more. So as we set the scene for Seek First the Kingdom, I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1. Who's got their Bibles here? Amen. Amen. We should have our Bible with us every week, even if it's on your phone. Open your Bible, follow along, study God's Word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Who thinks they know verse 1 well enough to say it out loud? In the beginning? Okay, what if we simplify that? Let's take verse 1 and simplify it. Let's simplify it even more. In the beginning, God. Because we tend to simplify, we look at in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And if we simplify it, it could be, well, in the beginning God created. And some people, if we simplify it even more, would say in the beginning. But we have to come from that place of in the beginning God. That is the foundation that the Jews build on. Everything else is built on the platform of God. So when we look at scripture, when we study scripture, when we, we look at all the things that go on around us, it has to come from a platform of, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Adrian. Not in the beginning, Fred or Bernie or, or anybody else. Our opinion doesn't matter because it's in the beginning, God. And that's the place we want to look at things from. We tend to think process and time but we need to have a good, solid foundation. The next one was something that Susie brought up in a prayer meeting this week. If we look at verse three, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. 
and God divided light from darkness. Now when God said, let there be light, the phrase, let there be, in Hebrew, is hayah. Where do we hear the phrase, hayah, screamed with excitement? You, you might, yeah, in judo, judo and karate. And, and I was looking a bit, did a bit of research on it this week. Uh, the word hayah isn't so much, it's more of a, it's used in movies and things, the concept is not necessarily to focus on the word, but the action. Because hayah is actually, there's a, there's a purpose behind it. And uh, it's actually known as a battle, or a battle scream in karate. And the, the phrase or the concept there is called uh, ki-ai. Ki means energy, I means to join or unite. So the concept is that as they scream, it comes from their, from their guts, from the core of them, and it's actually... Uh, taking the energy that they have and forcing it out through their fist. So it's not just a flapping the arms around and, and, and just frantically doing something, it's actually intention bringing power to that punch. That's the concept of hayah. And the reason I'm saying that is because that's exactly what it means in Hebrew. It's a declaration. When God spoke, he wasn't just flapping around a few words going, oh, it's a bit dark here, it'd be nice to, nice to have a bit of light. What if somebody you know, flicks the lights on? You know, give, us, give us something to work with here. There was none of that. When God spoke, he didn't say, let there be light. He said, light be. There was a declaration. There was an authority in how he spoke. And we need to understand that everything God does, he is the king. He is our foundation. He is the origin, and he operates with kingly authority. And we have to understand and see that kingly authority is an important part of, of who he is. Collins' dictionary defines kingdom as a country or region that is ruled by a king or queen. Literally, it's the king or queen's domain. And because we're referring to God, I'm going to be just speaking regarding a king to bring that all in together. But for a king to rule over a kingdom, what does he have to have? Subjects. Authority, somebody else said it over here too, I think. A king without authority is not a king. You must have authority to be a king. And if you are a king, you have authority. They go hand in hand. Now in Australia, we operate in a democratic society. If we don't like our politicians, we say so. And we're hearing a lot of that at the moment. When it comes to a time of election, we get to choose who we want in. If they haven't performed well, we vote them out and we vote somebody else in. And after we vote them in, we praise them for a week or two, then we start to criticise them for another four years. <laughs> and we come from this place where we think we have an opinion, we have a right. And we do in our society, but when it comes to kingdom, you have no say, you have no right because you are a subject of the king. And so when we think of things from a biblical concept, we tend to come in saying, but I've got a right. God says, I want you to go up and pray in the morning, but God, I'm tired. I want you to read your Bible, but God, that's hard work. I want you to study the Bible, but God, that's even harder work. And we come up with excuses and things, and we think we have a right to say something, but as subjects of the king, when the king says, do something, he expects you to do it. Now, here's the thing. If you don't operate under one kingdom and you think, I don't want to live under this king anymore, you can leave the kingdom and go into another kingdom. 
but you will live under the rule of that king. And so from a spiritual point, if we don't want to function under the authority and rule of our king, and when he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, when he commands you to study the word, when he commands you to pray, and you say, nah, I don't want to, what you're doing is you're realigning yourself with a different kingdom. But that's your choice. I would encourage you to stay with the kingdom of God because that's the place where there is freedom, where there is joy, where there is life. And people might say, well, that's a bit harsh. It's Bible. Who's read their Bible enough to know that's true? So it's not just me saying this. And again, it's, it's part of our democratic thing. You can't preach hard words at me. I've got a right to be happy. But no, the word of God says he wants more from us. He wants us to step out, step up and say, God, I am your servant and I will do what you want me to do. He wants us to connect. Under king rule, if you had a a king who was a great king, who was loving, who was gracious, your life would be pleasant. But if the king was cruel, was a dictator, you were a subject and you had no say. And you were under that, not till he was voted out, but until he died. And that could be 80 years. You might be dead before he is. So we need to understand kingdom rather than uh, just our own life that we see. So we summarise that, what we see in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. Try that again. In the beginning, God. God is our foundation, our firm foundation. Secondly, he rules from a place of kingly authority. God is a foundation and God's authority are two key points necessary to help us understand the kingdom of God. It's God's kingdom. We are subjects of our king. Next, let's go on to verse 26 from Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. You have... You have authority over creeps. Everything that creeps. The enemy is under your feet. That little creep has no authority over you. You have authority over him. And like I said earlier, in the beginning, God. That is our foundation. God is our foundation. He has the authority, but as the king, he can actually put people in place of authority to represent him. God didn't look at you and say, well, you're just a subject He made you to be family. He made you to function with authority under his leadership. And as Revelation 5.10 says, we're to be kings and priests unto our God. As a king, he can promote men and women to places of authority to rule on his behalf. What do you think, when a king promotes somebody to rule on his behalf, what do you think the king expects from that? Any ideas? Obedience, and then, yeah, if a person operates in authority under a king, he's expected to speak on the king's behalf. So when he speaks, the king speaks. When he says, this is the command, everybody knows, regardless of who you are, you've been given authority, the command is what the king has said. 
So God expects that from us, that we are actually operating in authority that he has provided us, that we're operating under his authority. And here's the great thing. When we speak, he speaks. When we pray over sickness and we declare sickness to be broken and gone, God agrees. How's that? God agrees with your prayers as long as they line up with his word. Because we represent him, we speak his speak, not our speak. If I was to say, I want a Lamborghini, God, you have to give me a Lamborghini. I can't see that in the Bible anywhere where God wants to give me a Lamborghini. But if God actually said to me, I need you to have a Lamborghini because there's a ministry I have for you to actually reach a particular group of people, that's very, very different. But for me to actually say, God's going to give me every single thing that I want, isn't Bible. I can stand on the promises God has, but when he said, this is for you, I have every right to pray that. I have every right to stand on that. I have every right to pray healing over my body. That's why we pray for Bath. That's why we pray for other people. Because God's word says, by his stripes, you were healed. And because it's in God's word, the king has said it, as his representative, as kings and priests unto God, I have every right to speak what he speaks. Because it's his truth. So to sum up again, in the beginning, still not loud enough, in the beginning, God, he is our foundation. We have to grow from that place. God is our firm foundation. He rules from a place of kingly authority. Thirdly, we are created in God's image and likeness, created to have dominion and authority. We carry the same authority because we are empowered and authorised by the king himself. Does that make you happy? Or does it scare you? (laughs) Probably both, yep. But this ties into the heart of today's message. In Matthew chapters 5 to 7, we see Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first teaching Jesus brings. Prior to that, he's just been baptised, he's been in the wilderness for 40 days. He starts healing people, but then he goes up onto the mountain and he teaches them. It says the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. And over three chapters, we see a, a whole range of areas that he speaks on. Things he speaks into, things he speaks against. And, and again, it's like if, if he is our king and we are subjects, we need to be looking and say, what does God speak against? And then run away from those things. You know, Bernie's had a method of studying of his Bible. I think it's a yellow and an orange highlighter. A yellow is a promise of God. Orange is a warning. If you see orange in his Bible, run away. <laughs> well, at least from, from what that says. When God says, don't do this, don't do it. If God says, do this and you'll be blessed, do it and you'll be blessed. God's word is really quite simple. But nine times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew refers quite often to the kingdom of God. The other, the other uh, gospels refer to the kingdom of heaven. It's all the same reference because of the audience Matthew was speaking to. He refers to it in a certain way. But kingdom of God kingdom of heaven is all the same and the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is used 103 times in the New Testament and Jesus uses that phrase 77 times you think it might be important if he teaches on it once listen if he teaches on it twice really listen 
If he teaches on it three times, pay attention because there's something important on this. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he spoke on 77 times. So we need to get an understanding and, and grow in our understanding of the kingdom of heaven. The first thing Jesus preached, when you look, he comes out of the wilderness, the first thing he preaches is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He tells the disciples to go out and preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And after he rose again, after being crucified, died, buried, rose again for 40 days, the Bible says he proved to the disciples he was alive and he preached the kingdom of heaven. Even after he'd finished everything, he died, he came, he still continued to preach the same message. Now, why do you think it's important that he, that he showed them or proved to them that he was alive? Stopping a disbelief. When does a king have authority? When he's alive. His authority ceases when he dies. So Jesus, to prove he is alive, means the disciples can now teach on a king who is alive and still continue to speak on the authority of God. So it continues on and on and on. And one of the teachings found in Matthew 6, and this is one I want to focus on today, comes straight after Jesus' teaching uh, on the heart issue of money. And money is a heart issue. From verse 25 to 34, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And one cubit was about uh, 50 centimetres. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I look at the weeds in my garden and they neither toil nor spin, <laughs> and they grow, <laughs> especially oxalis. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And this is the key verse but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. You know, the Bible talks very, very strongly. Jesus is very strong about worry. And if we look around, we see a lot of people worrying today. How am I going to do this? What happens if COVID comes here? What happens with the vaccination? What happens with governments? What happens with banks? And they just go on and on and on. And there's so much fear in people. And yet Jesus says, stop worrying about that. Don't put that thing as your focus. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all these things, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He is our king. And our king commands us not to worry. And if our king is still on the throne then it's his responsibility to take care for us as his subjects. But we have to be under his leading. That's why uh, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. We need to be in relationship with God. We need to be under his authority. We need to be under his rule. We need to be uh, in alignment with him for all these things to come into place. 
The New King James Version uses the word worry, but the King James Version says, take no thought. I looked this up in the Greek, and the Greek word for take no thought is anxiety, which shows that thinking and anxiety go hand in hand. And in Bible times, anxiety was already an issue. So it's not something new for us today. But here's the interesting part. The Greek word uh, for anxiety used here comes from the root word meaning division or to share. Are you sharing your thoughts with anybody? Does God get all your thoughts or do you share them with the enemy? Because worry is actually a division or sharing of your thoughts with somebody else. It's divided thinking, but here's the key thought. The origin of the word anxiety is an intention to distract. People who are worried, people who struggle, so many Christians are worried about COVID, vaccine, all these other things that are going on. The enemy is trying to camp in your thoughts and you're allowing him to stay there. He's not part of the subject. He's not, he's not a subject of God. He's not part of the kingdom of God. He has no authority. And yet you, as the one who's been authorised by God, is giving him permission to camp in your head and share some of those thoughts with you. His purpose is to distract you. The Bible calls him a thief. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill and destroy. And if he's going to share your thoughts with you, there is one intention he has, and that is to get you away from what God wants for your life. He has one motivation, that's to keep you away from God. Now, we love to see all these things added to us. Who would love to see all these things added? And yet it doesn't say that first. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. I want to look at three words, seek, but, and first. Seek means to search for something hidden in order to find it. So there's not just a, a hope, there's a hunting, there's a, there's a searching. I'm looking for the answer and I will look 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 until I find it. Seek first the kingdom. And it's interesting, earlier this year, God said, I want you to seek encounters with the Holy Spirit. Pursue them with an intention to find them. That's what God wants us to do. And it's not just in church we have a time of worship. It's not just in church we might have an altar call. But it's actually you seeking with the intention to find an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Again, anywhere, not just in church. But the other interesting thing is the word seek is not a suggestion, it's a command. So when the king says, I want you to seek first the kingdom, then we as his subjects are obliged to seek first the kingdom. But so often we go, oh, yeah, but God, I'm busy. I've got a party to go to this weekend. The kids are doing this. I've got to do, I've got that. God said, seek first. Seek first. Now, when we read this in English, it says, but seek first. But in the Greek, it's seek but first. And but and first kind of go hand in hand on this. Because the word first 
means first in time, place, or rank. So when God says, seek but first the kingdom of God, there's an emphasis there that shows strength in this command. So the question is, who or what has the highest rank in your life? Notice I didn't ask what is valued more highly. Because it's easy for us to say, well, somebody could ask you, do you love God? Absolutely. But does God hold the highest rank in your life? It's very different to what do you value. Rank speaks of authority. What carries the greater authority for your life? And if you're not sure, answer this question. If you're faced with a crisis, who or what are you directed by? Does your direction come from God and his word? Is your first thought to get God involved in your situation? Or does your direction come from somewhere else? Is your response one of fear? So in a time of crisis, who or what are you directed by? And when you can answer that question, then you know who holds the highest rank in your life. If you respond in fear, then it's not the kingdom of heaven. If it is, great, but we need to continue growing in that. And people might say, well, how do I grow my faith so that that is my first response? Well, you continue reading the word. You continue praying. You continue saying, God, reveal yourself to me. Then, as David, Jeremiah, and Elisha did, you seek Holy Spirit encounters for yourself, you align your vision with God's word, and you exercise your faith until you see this come to pass. Keeping in mind you're a subject of the king, and you have his authority to back you because he is your foundation. Now, earlier we spoke about the, king, uh, the kingdom relating to the king's domain or the king's authority. We need to continue searching and building on that fact that our king is our king, that his authority is what we stand under, nothing else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That needs to be our pursuit. Our Lord, our King, our Saviour Jesus has commanded that we pursue the things of God and have those things promoted in our lives until they are of highest ranking authority and everything else has to bow the knee to that. COVID is a great time for this to be put into practice. Regardless of vaccine, regardless of what you believe, God's word says you are healed. So start studying the word and, and growing in this. And what I love about this is that God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just says, seek first the kingdom. And you might need to keep looking. I know I certainly do. When it comes to believing God for things, I have to, I have to continue studying his word. I have to continue exercising my faith. I have to continue standing there and saying, God, your word says. Your, God, your word says. Sometimes things come quickly. Sometimes they come slowly. There's times that we pray for things and we don't see the answers as quick as we'd like. But we still stand. I've been asking God to heal me of asthma and standing on the promise of his word for, for nearly 50 years. Probably more 40 years because when I was younger I didn't really you know, obviously have the understanding of that. But until I see the fruit of this I will continue to stand on the word of God. And it might be that I die and go to heaven and that's when I'll get healed 
But God's word says I am healed and I don't care how long it takes, I will continue to stand. Why? Because God's word has to be the place of highest authority in my life. I can't look at asthma and say, well, you're it, and I bow my knee to asthma. I'm aware of it, I have to live with that, I have to uh, function according to that, take medication for that, but my focus isn't on asthma being the highest authority, my focus is God's word is much, much higher. The king of kings is much, much higher. I just want to finish with a few extra verses. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Luke 6, 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? I look at these and I think the king is saying, you're supposed to be my subjects. You have my authority. You're supposed to do what I say. He's reminding us to step in and continue to, to build into that. John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And John 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There's an element of freedom God wants us to have under his kingdom. And today's message is not intended in any way to be a finger-pointing issue because I look at myself and I look at all the areas that I fall short and I've still got a lot of seeking to do. So I'm not up here saying, I've achieved it all, what's wrong with you? If anything, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here because I know that I've fallen short and I have to continue seeking. I have to continue aligning God's word first. It's easy to look at things in the natural and say, well, what am I gonna do here? but I have to step in and say, God, your word says. God, your word says. And continue trusting, continue believing. The purpose is for each of us to look at our own lives, the things that we do behind closed doors, the way we live in public, what we say, what we think, what we commit our time and energy to. To look at every part of our lives and ask, Lord, have I really put you first in everything I do? Are you really my highest authority or would my first response be to someone else? Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in, in me and lead me into the way everlasting. This is a prayer of submission. God, if there's anything in here that needs adjustment, put your finger on it. And this prayer is as relevant to me today as it was yesterday and it'll be just as relevant tomorrow. That's why I say I haven't achieved everything. It's like, God, what is it you want in my life? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And the first part of the next verse, I really love because it says, and I will be found by you, says the Lord. So he's not hiding. He's not trying to make life hard. If you've ever played hide and seek as a kid, you want to hide, you don't want to be found. But God's kind of saying, let's play hide and seek. And he stands right in front of you and goes, ha you win. <laughs> but you've got to open your eyes to look for him. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask everyone just to close their eyes. And as part of our seeking encounters with the Holy Spirit, looking until we find I want to give you opportunity to respond this morning. And Father, as we're, we're here in this place, we, we, we see the importance of, of seeking first the kingdom 
of putting your word first, putting the things of you first. Lord, we acknowledge the fact that we fall short pretty much every single day. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the times we've let you down. Father, for the times that that we've failed you, for the times that we've struggled, for the times that we've defaulted to a different authority, we ask your forgiveness for that. But Lord, I pray today that you will put your finger on our hearts, that you will speak to us about issues in our life. And I just want to ask this morning, if you, if you want to respond to this and you're saying, actually, God hasn't been the highest authority in my life. I've valued God, I've loved God, but he hasn't been the highest authority. Then I'd like you to either stand or raise your hand because this is a response to God. You might say, I'm perfect. I don't need to respond to this. But if you're like me and say, God, I fall short in so many areas, then I would encourage you to respond before God this morning. Let your response be a public declaration of God. I want you to be first. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my foundation. Everything I do, I want to line up with your authority. Father, we look around the room, we see those who have their hands up, we see those who are standing. And Lord, we join our faith together. And Father, we say, here we are before you. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we have not put you first. We ask your forgiveness for the times that we've stopped seeking. We ask your forgiveness for the times that that you have not been on the throne of our life, that you have not been our king and that we have submitted to a different kingdom. But Father, today we choose to align ourselves with you. We choose to acknowledge you as our God. We choose to acknowledge you as the God, as our foundation, as the one who holds the authority. Father, we are kings and priests unto you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We praise you, we exalt you, we bless you. You are mighty, you are wonderful, you are glorious, you are worthy of everything we have to give. Father, we praise you this morning, we bless you, we honour you, and we magnify you. Lord, even as we leave this place today, let our conversations show that our highest authority is you. Let our actions show that our highest authority is you. Lord, let the things we do when there's no one else around show that our highest authority is you. Lord, we bless you, we worship you, we honour you and we praise you. Lord, as we leave this place today, lead us and guide us, we pray. Use us for the advancement of your kingdom. Show us who to speak to, show us who to pray with, Show us how to live and function as you would because we want to see your kingdom advanced. Lord, as we go into this week leading into Christmas and the busyness of life, the busyness of everything, Lord, remind us daily of you. We want to bless you and honour you. Lord, we want to leave this place and celebrate you in every part of our lives. Be exalted, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name.